Neighbor, I heard about your heresy, and we've made it our mission to win you back to the flock. No sale. Homer, Christian life isn't all praying and sacrifice. Hey, dig this. Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, hello there, my good man. Hello. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's finally warming up just a little bit in our apartment here. Um, we woke up a couple of days ago and it was 61 degrees. And uh, I don't know if we've ever explained this on air before, but we live in a two flat. So we live in the upstairs unit of a house. Um, and the downstairs unit is the only place that the heat is controlled. So we don't actually have control. And there's supposed to be this like agreed upon just number you know let's just say it's 68 or 69 or whatever it ends up being like there's supposed to be an agreed upon number that we leave the thermostat so that both apartments are comfortable and all last winter and even now like it, it it's not it does not operate that way they just can leave it where they want it and they must like it really cold because they went away this weekend and we had told them like hey before you go away can you bump it up and he's like yeah we put it to 68 and we bought a thermometer so that we could know how cold or warm it actually is in our apartment and it has read 68 like all day so like we know that when it's 61 it's because they either don't have the heat on or they're leaving the heat at 61 so golly <laughs> so it's at least comfortable i'm not freezing today um so yeah anyway, man Wow. The joys of, yeah. of sharing a house, which weirdly enough, my grandparents owned in the 70s. Fun fact. So it, it's kind of weird living in a house that my mom briefly lived in. Man, that's crazy. Um, yeah, here it's kind of the opposite. Like, I'm excited that it's like 65 in the mornings now. <laughs> <laughs> Instead Not of 95. inside our apartment, but just the weather in general has been like really nice, crisp fall in the morning and evening. Um but then back up to like mid to high seventies by lunchtime, which is, I mean, you know, mid seventies. I'm like, no, no one's complaining Beautiful about mid seventies, yeah. but like for mid October, I kind of am ready for some like real fall weather, but, mm. um, I think I'll just have to wait a little longer for like the, the consistent sweater weather. Yeah. You know? but, I feel like Wisconsin skips a lot of real fall weather. It goes from being like eighties and you know generally hot to suddenly being like 30 and snowing there's you know there's a couple days where it's in the 60s and 50s but it it seems to not last as long as i'd like it to Mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah i mean i'm really excited to experience an alabama winter um i think winter's gonna become my new favorite season because it's gonna like just be really nice and cool right like i mean it's gonna get cold but i just mean like overall you know i just I don't have to deal with shoveling snow, but at the same time, it's not going to be like 100 degrees. So true. Looking forward to the winter. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, we are back again for the third installment of our uh, Tuesday heresies, nothing but heresies episodes. Um, We are moving along through this fine October, I was going to say celebration, um, 
I don't know if, if we're celebrating these heresies so much as just um, highlighting them throughout this month, but we are back at it. And today we are going to be talking about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more popularly known as the Mormons. Um, I learned, I don't know if I ever knew this or not, um, but in the course of preparing for today, I learned that that's not really the term they prefer. They, they, I don't know if, I don't really know the origins of that term, but they find it derogatory or, or some do, but um, right on their website, it says um, that the, the, the full title is the more respectful term. So, you know, I'm calling them heretics, but I do think also um, it's, you know, these are people who are earnest in their faith and they asked me to try and use a more respectful term. So I'll do my best. I don't think it's the end of the world. I mean, one thing I did learn though, is that underneath Mormonism, there are, I don't know if you'd call them like denominations, but like under Mormonism, there are separate, like the the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is one, but there's another Mm -hmm. one called community of Christ. Both have Mormon roots. So like maybe that's part of this too, is maybe some of the LDS people just don't like that term Mormon because it's associated with some of the other types of Mormonism. Like maybe it's like, you know, let's just say that Presbyterians for some reason suddenly didn't want to be called like Christians anymore for whatever reason. And they wanted to be specifically known as Presbyterians as opposed to Baptists or Pentecostals or, or whatever. That makes I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think of that because that is true. I, I spent my time on the actual Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints site to kind of get like, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, but they're the most numerous right. and original Mormon church. So it made the most sense to look there for Mormon doctrine. But that, that, that might make sense to differentiate them not only for their beliefs, but also as, as their specific church body. Uh, but anyway, regardless, um, we are going to talk about Mormonism, Latter-day Saints uh, today. And this one, I, I, I don't know. Before we get into like the normal kind of here's the history, here's what they believe, let's evaluate, kind of like we've been doing more or less um, with with the last two heresy episodes. Um, this I f- We talked a little bit about this as we were sketching out which heresies we wanted to choose. Um, and we, we were a little, at least I, the way I remember this conversation a few weeks ago, that feels like a year ago, um, <laughs> we were a little unsure if we wanted to classify Mormonism as a heresy. Because if, if you look at something like Word of Faith, if you look at something like a Nestorian Christology, you're, you're talking about um, something that's very much within the realm of Christianity that springs up as a false teaching, as a wrong-headed teaching that that dis, you know distorts or um, devalues the gospel to where you need to draw a line in the sand and reject it. Right? Um, we've talked a little bit about what heresy is, a little bit about how we should approach heresy. But for me, you know, growing up in the 21st century United States, for me. Um, Mormons were, you know, it was a long time before I even even realized that they had anything to do with with Jesus Christ in any sense. Right. You know what I mean? So to me, I've always mentally thought of them as a totally different um, religion is how I would put it. 
Um, but that's not actually necessarily true. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's there's probably lots of debate. You know, I'm sure we would disagree with them over, you know, the title Christian or what it means to be a Christian, as we'll see. But I do think it's worth noting, um, and this is kind of why we felt it was justified to talk about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as though it were a Christian heresy, not just another religion, because they are very self-consciously a Christian church. That's how they understand themselves. Um, this is a quote directly from their website. Um, the, the, the church, the LDS church, is centered on the belief that everyone is a son or daughter of a loving God and that his son, Jesus Christ, saved the world from sin and death. Jesus Christ invites all of God's children to come unto, follow, and become more like him. You know, like, clearly, whether we want to go on to say that they're understanding it correctly or incorrectly, um, or faithfully or unfaithfully, they understand themselves as a church who follows Jesus Christ, you know, which to me means they would fall under the category of it's, you know, I don't know. It's a little, it's a little tough to delineate the lines, but they're understanding themselves as Christians. They're calling themselves Christians. They declare that they follow Jesus Christ. I think it's fair to hold them to the standard of what it means to be Christian, according to my understanding, yeah. which is the historic, classic, orthodox understanding. And therefore, the LDS Church would fall into the heresy category, unlike something like, I don't know, Hinduism, which is not a Christian heresy. It's just a different belief system. Mm. So that maybe is a little more long-winded than I meant it to be. Um, but I think that that kind of was, before we dive into what Mormonism is, what the church believes, it seemed worthwhile noting because some people might have seen this and be scratching their heads a little bit like, oh, I thought I thought these were Christian beliefs that were wrong, not just religious beliefs that were wrong. Um, so I thought it was, you know, worth pointing out um, straight from their own, you know, in their own words that they are a church of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. Um, I think I was one of the one, one of the people, I guess I was the one between you and I <laughs> that had the most reservations and wanting to do this one just because I felt like it did seem a little outside of heresy. But the more that I read, the more that you realize it grows from a somewhat Christian background, the more that you recognize that this is heretical. And I think that the Mormon church is a good example of um, when incorrect theology, when incorrect doctrine goes too far, what can become of that when when we don't adhere to orthodox faithful christianity um, as we'll see in a little bit like regarding even something like the trinity what they think god is as three people um when you stray from what scripture teaches this this can be a place that you end up more or less so um we'll we'll just dive in now um you know 11 minutes later uh and and say so mormons generally um the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think from this point on, we'll just say LDS, and you'll understand what that means. Um, it's a religious group that embraces concepts of Christianity as well as revelations made by their founder, Joseph Smith, which is like the most basic name in the world, Joe Smith. Um, but uh, they primarily 
belong again. So underneath Mormonism, it seems like there are two like denominations, so to speak. So the LDS Church is headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, has more than 16 million members worldwide. And the other group, the Community of Christ, is uh, centered in Independence, Missouri, and has about 250,000 members. So uh, the Mormon religion, the Mormon faith, was officially founded in 1830 uh, when the Book of Mormon was published. So, I mean, that in and of itself is, you know, one red flag. The fact that this, this, this following, these religious, this religious group was, was founded, you know, less than 200 years ago. We're coming up on the 200, you know, what is it? 190 years at this point that, uh, the Mormon faith has, has been a thing. But, uh, so Joseph Smith Jr. Actually. So the, the founder of the religion was born in Vermont on December 23rd, 1805. And, um, Again, just a little bit of a heads up. We're not going to go super deep into Smith's life because this Friday we're going to be talking about Joseph Smith. So I don't want to like be redundant, but um, when he was 14, he said he received a vision from God and Jesus that told him not to join any Christian denominational churches. Three years later, Smith claimed that an angel named Moroni, uh, Moroni, had appeared to him and that I'm just going to say Moroni Moroni revealed that Smith had been selected to translate the book of Mormon, a sacred text that was written around the fourth century and named after, um, Moroni's father Mormon. Um, so according to Moroni, this spiritual book contained information about the ancient people who inhabited the Americas. (laughs) Uh, he revealed that the book was inscribed on golden plates near Palmyra, New York, which was close to where Smith had lived at the time. So although the plates were, were first revealed to him uh, supposedly on September 22nd, 1823, Smith said that he was not allowed to retrieve them for four years, so until September of 1827. And so the Book of Mormon was translated over the next several years and then published in, in 1830. Um, Smith also said that that John the Baptist appeared to him while he was translating the Book of Mormon and instructed him to restore the church by preaching the true gospel. So a, a big thing within the LDS church, within um, Mormonism more generally, is that they're the true church. They, they see themselves as the ones who preach the pure, true, real gospel and that all other I guess, I mean, I'm curious if Mormons would consider, you know, Christians as heretics. Like if it, if it goes both ways, like if when they look at our beliefs in yeah. like the Trinity or um, Jesus's resurrection or his atonement mm-hmm. or whatever, um, I wonder if they think like those things are, are blasphemous. But um, they think that they are the ones who preach truth and that um, all others are, are in error, I guess. And I think this is a, a good point to bring up something else, um, you know, specifically not something else, but to, to, to sort of drill down a little bit on this idea of, like you said, um, John the Baptist told uh, Joseph Smith that he was going to restore the church by preaching the true gospel. Um, this idea is is very, like you said, central to their identity. Um, and it also has some interesting parallels in some other groups. Um, so this is another quote from the LDS website. Um, following... Jesus' death and the deaths of his apostles, some of the precious truths he taught and his sacred authority, 
um, which there they're referring to like the authority of the priesthood. Um, like, so like kind of like similar to like apostolic succession, if you come from a more sacramental tradition, but um, some of the precious truths Jesus taught and Jesus's sacred authority were lost for a time. This time period, which I assume would be from around the death of the apostles to 1830. I, I don't know for sure. Um, but um, this time period is known as the great apostasy, um, you know, capital G, capital A, the great apostasy. So the idea that there is this, um, you know, whenever you want to draw the line, there's some point in history where the true gospel is lost and then it need to, therefore the church falls into, I don't know if you'd say heresy, if you'd say false teaching, being led astray, but it needs to be restored. So Mormons are not the only people who have a view of a great apostasy. I had a professor in, in college, actually, who who talked about this view of church history as um, the ditch theory, he said. <laughs> and he drew it on the board. If you draw a timeline, it's basically like Jesus, the apostles, things are going good. The apostles die. And then there's this drop into the ditch where, oh, you've got, oh, you know, the 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 Orthodox and the Catholics, and you've got all this false doctrine and this idolatry. And then the ditch continues on and on and on. And then it shoots back up. And and that's maybe Martin Luther. We're back on track. Or maybe it's John Calvin. Or, or, or maybe it's, you know, when my denomination started in the 1800s. Or you, you, you see what I'm getting at. Yikes. You said um, this was a professor you had? Dr. Greg Quiggle. Wow. Um. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, oh, I'm. I, oh, especially now that I named him, he he was describing this view. Oh, he thought it gotcha, was ridiculous gotcha. because it is. But <laughs> he was say, describing oh this view of church history. Um, <laughs> I am so sorry, Doctor Quiggle, if you're ever listening. <laughs> do not. I, I did not mean to insinuate that that you held to this. But the point being, um, there there are an entire group, or or I guess multiple groups, not just the Mormons. Um, of Christians that, that, that are referred to as restorationist churches. Um, so this would be churches like the Disciples of Christ, Churches of Christ. Um, there were churches who, who just called themselves Christians, like as, as, as like that was like the official name, not just like we are Christians who are, you know, this or that kind. But um, and this very interestingly, which this would probably be a whole nother, you know, episode worth of of topic but um these are all coming up right around the same time as mormonism is as, jo- as joseph smith is receiving his revelations and publishing the translation of the tablets um you know the 1800s were were a time where american religion was really exploding with this kind of thing um specifically churches that sought to uh you know and this is a quote from um the book america's god by the historian mark knoll um Restorationist churches sought to remedy the decline of the church following the apostles by, quote, preaching the need to dispense with the historic Christian creeds, philosophical speculations like Calvinism, and unbiblical practices like the baptism of infants in order to recover the primitive, non-sectarian, immersionist faith of the New Testament. So this idea, we've got the New Testament, we've got the apostles, we've got this gap of time. And now we are restoring and kind of like a non-Mormon way, like a quote that kind of epitomizes this view in like a non-Mormon way. There, there were a couple of leaders of um, 
restorationist churches. I think it was the Disciples of Christ. They were they were arguing over something, and then somebody asked them to like, or somebody said they should go read Calvin, or, or you know, referenced Calvin or something, and they said, "quote We are not personally acquainted with the writings of John Calvin, nor are we certain how nearly we agree with his views of divine truth. Neither do we care." End quote. And that kind of this is not Mormons. These are other Christians, but the point being, there's this this idea of the great apostasy is not unique to Mormonism, and I think that there are some interesting parallels to sort of the the dangers that cutting yourself off from church history does, because you you see this sense of, oh, I don't even care that I don't know what John Calvin says. Well, then how do you know he's wrong? <laughs> um, like I, I don't I don't know, but um, I thought it was worth noting that you're going to encounter this idea of a great apostasy in more places than just the Mormons. Um, And also I wanted to point it out because it is extremely important to the self-identity of the followers of, of, of um, the Latter-day Saints, the LDS uh, and Joseph Smith's disciples and, and the churches that rose up after him. It's important that they are restoring the true gospel. Um, And it's worth noting especially once we get into what that true gospel looks like in some ways. Um, I don't know if we, if we're ready to kind of move into the more, you know, highlighting some, some of their unique beliefs maybe. Yeah, sure. I I sort of have just a a bullet point list of, of some of the main core beliefs and doctrines, I guess, but um, like it's, going to be helpful to again clarify that Mormons consider themselves Christians, even though many Christians don't recognize Mormonism as an official denomination within Christianity. You know, under the umbrella of Christianity, we have we have Baptists, we have Anglicans, we have Presbyterians, Evangelical Free, and um, though there are, are, are many differences, uh, they're still considered Orthodox, faithful Christians to the extent that they confess the same things. Um, so even though Mormons consider themselves Christians, it doesn't it doesn't go both ways. So um, we're going to see why, basically, in, in highlighting this list. So um, Mormons, the LDS Church, uh, they believe in the crucifixion. They believe uh, in the resurrection and the divinity of Jesus. Um, followers claim that that God sent more prophets after Jesus's death. Uh, they say that the original church has been restored in in modern times, as we as we sort of mentioned. Uh, Mormons embrace four different texts. So they embrace the Christian Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and the Covenants, and uh, the Pearl of Great Price. Um, I don't know either of the last two. I didn't look all that much into them, but I think the Book of Mormon is is pretty evident. Most people know that. Um, According to the LDS Church, Adam and Eve lived in Davies County, Missouri, after being driven from the Garden of Eden. Didn't, Didn't know that. Um, there are three levels of heaven. There is the celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. Um, and again, this is in Mormonism, obviously, but, um, only those in the celestial kingdom will live in God's presence. So like heaven, the afterlife has these three tiers and it's only those who are, um, you know, probably the best, the the most righteous are the ones who get to live in God's presence. Um, followers don't recognize the Christian concept of the Trinity, which is 
God existing in three persons. Instead, they believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three separate gods. So that's one big, you know, knock against them, at least from the Christian perspective, is an unbelief in the Trinity and believing that God is three uh, as opposed to one. Uh, The LDS Church considers Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, uh, as a prophet. So again, we mentioned that prophets came after Jesus, and Joseph Smith is one of the most revered. Uh, Mormons follow a strict, healthy lifestyle that that doesn't allow them to consume alcohol, tobacco, coffee, tea. You know, they're really bad things in life, coffee and tea especially. We we, We really need to be careful with those. Um, um, can, can I interject a little please. bit? I wanted to say some more. So it, oh, I really, this is a really interesting sort of thing for me because it's, to, it's, it's like, it's doctrinal, you know, it's not just like Mormons, you know, care about being healthy. So they, you know, are careful with their diet or careful with exercise, but it's, it's a doctrinal thing. And, um, the the problem I have with it with with this whole um, they, they they were in the website the, the the LDS Church's website it talks about healthy living kind of almost as like a technical term, um, but it's like you said there's no alcohol no tobacco no no coffee no tea uh, they watch their diet they don't eat a ton of meat exercise is really important um, you know ba- like fasting as well as as eating healthy um, periodically. Like it's, it's, it's pretty robust. It's not just like, you know, you can't have these few things, but it, it's a, it's a very like broad and, and, and sort of holistic approach to, to healthy living. Um, but the problem I have is that it's, it's a doctrine basically based on what I would consider <laughs> extra biblical writings. And interestingly, none of the references that they pulled on, on the website for their, to support and explain what their healthy living doctrine is. They didn't even come from the Book of Mormon. They were they were all from Doctrine and Covenant, and I think one from the Pearl of Great Price, which I don't know if there's like a tier system or like a hierarchy of like the Bible and the Book of Mormon are sort of like, you know, the like high level of, of scripture, and then maybe the other two are maybe like, less important scripture maybe they're like the their version of the apocrypha i I don't know how it works but um i found it interesting that not even in the book of mormon were there quotes that the church used on the web page they have that explains healthy living um so it just seems to me that they're they're taking these extra biblical writings and turning you know prescriptions in them into a law there's there's nothing wrong (laughs) The opposite, you know, there, there's a lot good about the healthy living doctrine they have. Um, they, you know, abstaining from alcohol, being careful to, you know, diet and exercise in a way that that's that's balanced and healthy. Like the the church even cites some studies um, that that explains that that some people like people who follow the, the the Mormon health code tend to live longer than people who don't, which makes it like duh if you don't drink you don't smoke you eat well you don't eat a ton of red meat like like yeah you're gonna it's that's healthier um for your for your body Um, the problem is not following this code the problem is creating a religious law that goes beyond the boundaries of what scripture prescribes 
if that makes sense. And I think that this is sort of a useful aspect of, of LDS teaching to kind of highlight because it's something that's relatively minor, you know, it, like you don't drink alcohol, you don't drink caffeine, you, 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 um, you know, you exercise regularly as part of your religion. Like that's not a big deal. And like I said, if anything, it's a good thing to do to, to instruct your, your people to take care of their bodies. Um, but you're not instructing your people to take care of your bodies. You know, you're, you're, bur- you're binding people's consciences with, I have to imagine, with extra biblical laws. And again, this isn't a thing where it's like, um, we've been handed down this tradition of abstaining from alcohol and exercising in order to take care of our bodies. And we would really encourage you to, to consider that, you know, like I think of like, um, certain liturgical practices that, that has like, uh, fasting on, on Fridays, that that's a Western tradition that has for centuries been passed down through the church. Um, but that's not a law prescribed by scripture that you need to fast on Fridays for your spiritual benefit. You know what I mean? But if you fast every Friday and don't eat meat and, you know, focus your heart to God, that's wonderful. You know, the problem is making it a law. And I see something similar there where it's this relatively minor issue that becomes a law that's binding people's consciences, not based on scripture. If scripture said, don't drink alcohol, exercise three times a week, then we would need to do that, you know. Um, but scripture doesn't say those things. However, the writings that the LDS church is holding to on a level with scripture does say it. And that's where I would have some serious problems. Um, and again, it's such a minor issue. It's just interesting to sort of highlight the theological under, you know, like the, the foundations of this. Because it sounds so great. We live healthy. We exercise, we eat well, but underneath that is there's a lot more to it. That's that's really some some not so good, um, shaky ground of, you know, using non biblical writings as God's word, which just is not a good idea. Right, you know? <laughs> and I think uh, you almost have to ask yourself, well, like why why is that the case? Like why do they use these extra biblical ideas and teachings to bind people's consciences? And at the end of the day, because I would say that this is not just a heresy, um, but in some ways cultic, if that's a right the right word, um, is that it's a lot of it comes down to power, the the power that you can have over other people, whether it's to to gain influence or notoriety, to gain wealth, and um, you know to to keep people living a certain way, to keep them engaged in sometimes oppressive, sometimes suppressive ideologies and practices. Like it's, it's a, it's, I don't know. I think for some people it is a power trip. Um, and even though like, you know, family life, good deeds, respect for authority, missionary work, even though these are all really important values in Mormonism with the LDS church, like I'm sure everybody who's listening to this at some point in their life has had someone come to their door and want to talk to them about, you know, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and again, I think I think a lot of it is just to um, to keep people. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I know I'm making judgment calls, but I think it's to keep people in check in a way. A lot of these rules and extra regulations to keep them 
right where you want them, so to speak. And I'm not saying that everyone's trying to be intentionally malicious, but I think that this is what happens when, you know, 200 years removed from your religion's founding, uh, you now still are a religion. Like, there's there's something there because... You know, because outside of Christianity, even though I'll, you know, respect people who have different religious beliefs, I'll be um, compassionate and caring. Um, at the end of the day, we have to recognize that whatever beliefs they have, uh, however flawed they might be, are a distortion of, of reality, are a, a distortion of the true nature of living in this world, living as God wants us to live. And so if we're living these other ways, it's it's because somebody or something wants control, wants to continue in that seat of power. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but is there anything you want to add think, there? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, make, you're making sense. And I think that I'm sure there are, you know, Mormon leaders who are abusive in some way um, and use the church to, you know, enact that that abusive power or selfishness or, um, you know, mistreatment of their parishioners or whatever the case may be. Um, but honestly, you could say the same thing about any Christian church, any Christian practice, if you're from the outside looking in. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that it's wrong to say that false beliefs, you know, bind people in, in their blindness to to what's true. Um, and it's also not false to say that statistically, I'm sure some number of those 16 million members of the LDS church use the church's teachings for evil, you know, to gain power, to hurt others, you know, whether on purpose or not. However, the same is true of the, you know, 1.6 billion Christians in the, however many Christians, the, the billions of Christians in the world, some number of them also take the church's teachings and practices and use them for evil. Um, and that's, you know, that's within a religion that I confess to be the true religion who worships the true God. So I think that it can be really tricky when we're looking at, at people who believe so different to, to not, like you said, make judgment calls, to not assume the worst, particularly with stuff that we don't know. You know what I mean? Um, and if, from what I, from what I read on their website, um, from the reputation that they have just in general, culturally and in the world, um, um, I, I would be inclined to say that that Mormons, that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is probably one of the more earnest and honest, uh, uh, you know, other sort of religious belief system it, it, that 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 would that we would might regularly encounter in the world, just in terms of um, the tone that they take, you know, um, as opposed to something like, you know one of those crazy cults like uh what's his name like uh was it Jim Jones or I, I forget um with the you know where where the phrase drink the Kool-Aid comes from you know um I, I think that those are those are qualitatively different kinds of groups and I and I, I don't want to lump the Mormons in with something like that uh partially out of like I don't know I've never been a Mormon I have no idea but also just you know um you look at their website, it's not like looking at a Scientology website. It's not like reading about Scientology when you, you, you know. Um, and the the extra biblical writings that we talked about, the Book of Mormon, um, the Pearl of Great Price, you know, these are, these are particularly the Book of Mormon, um, believed to be uh, inspired writings. 
in the same way that we would believe that there are inspired writings and we, we would name them, you know, we would limit them much more compared to um, the LDS church and, and the other Mormon groups. But um, it it is the case that I think that the Mormons are very earnestly misguided, if that makes sense. And that's not meant to be condescending so much as just, I, you know, Joseph Smith took the foundation of Christian truth and kind of ran away from it and then ran with it into something very, very different. And you see that how he was, you know, he felt encouraged to, or I guess discouraged um, from yoking himself to any church, any any sense of, of Christianity that, that was around him at the time. Um, and then you get all these, these funky things where it's maybe not so hard to say, you know, this book was written by um, some angel or prophet because we say that, you know, we believe that Joseph Smith found these tablets that were revealed to him by an angel, even though there's no historical basis that Jesus or Adam and Eve or anybody lived in the Americas um, at any point, you know, and, and, and that's maybe above my pay grade, but I think it's, I just want to kind of point that out is, is, is that, that earnestness that doesn't somehow create truth. However, it's very different than a malicious cult leader, which people like that are going to exist in every belief system um, because people are sinful, fallen beings who don't do what's right and don't love God and don't love neighbor the way that they should. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, I think that might have been a little bit of a, of a rabbit trail that we can maybe wrap up there yeah. and kind of get back <clears throat> to sort of like some of the distinctives. Um, yeah. Yeah. So sorry I, <laughs> to those listening, literally like as Lucas was speaking, I took a sip of water and it like <clears throat> went down the wrong way. So I'm still recovering from uh, whatever that was. But <laughs> anyway, um, maybe more specifically to, to hone in on the book of Mormon, because that's, you know, again, we mentioned not being a hundred percent sure how they tier their sacred writings, but um, the book of Mormon is significant enough that it's, it's worth highlighting. So, uh, Mormons believe that the Book of Mormon confirms information found in the Holy Bible. Um, so that's at least a good thing that, you know, they, again, they, they confess the Bible to be true. Um, the problem is that they have these extra things on top of it. Um, what I guess what the Book of Mormon is about is an ancient account uh, of the prophets who lived in the Americas. So it covers events that occurred from about 2,500 bc to ad 400 according to the book some jews came to america to avoid persecution in jerusalem um, they divided into two groups that continued to fight each other so there were the nephites and the lamanites uh, in ad 428 the nephites <clears throat> were defeated so the lamanites won and the text says that the lamanites are the the same group that's known today as you know american like Native Americans, um, basically. Um, so if you think about world history, um, the people who were here when Columbus sailed here, those those natives, uh, the Book of Mormon would say those people are originally from, you know, Israelites from Jerusalem who had come here, had had split into two people, the two people feuded, and now these Lamanites. So these, these, these Lamanites are the ones who, um, you know, again, are who we would consider um, Native Americans today. 
Um, so uh, according to the Book of Mormon, uh, Jesus appeared and preached to the Nephites in the Americas after his crucifixion. Uh, the book is divided into uh, smaller books, very similar to um, you know the Bible, and they read as, as narratives. Uh, the LDS Church states that more than 150 million copies of the Book of Mormon have been distributed as of 2011. Um, some of the things that you know Mormonism and um, the LDS Church and the Book of Mormon teach is that children are typically baptized around eight years of age. Um, a young man, 12 years or older, can enter into a priesthood known as uh, the Aaronic Priesthood. And uh, those over 18 can enter into uh, the Melchizedek Priesthood. Uh, so what's interesting is, you know, Aaron and Melchizedek, these, these two orders of priests from the, the Old Testament, uh, sort of continue, so to speak, in, in Mormonism. So young men... Uh, can join these priesthood uh, priesthoods at, at certain ages, and um, I don't know. I find that kind of fascinating too. That something you know, it's it's interesting to see what is like borrowed from scripture, what is sometimes ignored, what is different, mm. and something else interesting. Apparently, they, according to their website, um, they they don't seem to have like like they don't have pastors who are paid whose job it is to run the church. It's all on a volunteer basis. The the leaders of local congregations are all volunteers, which is really, really intriguing and interesting to me. And I don't know the details of how that works up. Like, um, you know, the higher up the the uh, organization you go, you know, it, like. But it's just really fascinating to me that I, I assume you know these young men entering these priestly orders. Um, are the ministers who are, you know, the volunteer leaders who, who are who are coordinating services, preaching, whatever it is that they are um, responsible for. It's it's fascinating to me that it's all volunteer, um, which, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, I, I don't, I, that's not good or bad in any way. It's just, it's just very interesting. Um, I thought I'd point it out since we were kind of tangentially related to that, talking about the, yeah, the priesthoods. For sure. And, you know, one of the other things that I think a lot of people will think of when they think of Mormonism is, is polygamy. So how, how do Mormons practice uh, marriage? Um, it says, although the LDS Church banned the practice of polygamy in 1890, uh, historically, many Mormons have wed several wives. Um, in recent years, the church acknowledged that Joseph Smith wed as many as 40 wives, some as young as uh, age 14. Um, and today, uh, Mormons generally frown upon, they, they frown upon polygamy and choose to marry just one spouse. Um, but there are a number of small fundamentalists kind of who broke off from the LDS who continue to practice plural marriage, I guess. So I don't know if you've ever seen the show like Sister Wives. For some reason, that's like the only thing I can think of. Mm -hmm. um, pretty sure those were like some some Mormons who, who were living a poly polygamous lifestyle. But um, again, something that's kind of fascinating in which, um, you know, justification is found in, in Old Testament teaching. I mean, there's a lot of Old Testament um, kings and leaders who, who had many wives and many concubines. I mean, Solomon comes to mind and some of the other kings, um, Abraham himself. I mean, you know, what do we consider when, you know, Hagar and Sarah and, and some of those other mm -hmm. things... Uh, so it's just, I think that's some of their justification for, for that, I guess, more outdated teaching now. But 
um, it's worth bringing up that that's something that is taught because I think it's significant and does deviate enough from Christianity today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> One thing I wanted to to kind of to it doesn't necessarily fit neatly. Not not not, not the smoothest transition, but um exploring the the LDS church's website it, it, I think is a really worthwhile uh way you know, thing to do if you if you're at all interested in sort of the you know some of the distinctives some of the the things that they want to highlight um it, it is interesting some of the doctrines or, or or some of the ways that they speak about certain doctrines that are that are either different than mainstream Christianity or that are maybe a little bit odd sounding compared to you know what an average American might think in the 21st century um, the like the, the tone and the language it's it's a very easy to navigate website they've done a really good job of that and and it it you know it's not hard to get around and to sort of get a taste of um, the different things that they do and believe and and brief, really brief uh, blurbs and explanations about why or where it comes from, um, as well as get in touch with with missionaries if you're interested or, you know, local congregations to visit or whatever. So like I said, it's a really great website <laughs> um, and easy to use. Um, one thing that did stick out to me was just it, it felt it felt like a almost like a big non-denominational megachurch website that's like super seeker friendly and trying to sort of smooth out the edges and simplify and make things very, um, you know, small and uncontroversial and easy to sort of grasp and not be weirded out by. Um, And so it comes across as being very vague, at least to me. Um, This is just my, you know, anecdotal experience of looking at their website, where something like their doctrine of baptism, which they say that baptism is required for salvation, and they cite scripture for that. Um, Scripture meaning the Bible. (laughs) Um, Things I would agree with them are scripture. Um, they, They talk about it being a covenant or a promise that you make to God to follow Jesus's example. Um, it's, it's, it's very like man centered language. It's not very sacramental language. It's not very, um, fleshed out on the website, which of course, you know, on a website, you know, someone who knows nothing comes on the online. You're not going to give them a whole, you know, dissertation on baptism. I get that. But, um, it did strike me as, as just kind of interesting the way that they chose to frame things and sort of word things in a way that, that, um, I felt like I was getting a really, really good, like, bullet point answer, but I wanted a lot more, you know, like, I wanted, I wanted to, the, I wanted the details, you know, like, um, one of the things that Mormons do that, that Christians generally would, would frown upon is, is they, they, uh, they do baptisms for the dead. So baptism is necessary for salvation to in, it, within the church. Um, but what is, what, you know, what does that mean for those who have died in your family, maybe um, in generations past who weren't baptized um, in the Mormon church? Um, so what you can do 
is you can be baptized on behalf of someone who has already passed away. And that sort of secures their, um, their salvation by, by being a vicarious baptism for, for that person. And what's really interesting to me is like they, they, they sort of talk about this and then they, they, they point out like a lot, of, a lot of Mormons are really interested in genealogy and finding out their family tree to sort of, you know, um, think through this, this topic or whatever. And it's like, okay, okay. And then they cite uh, 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is talking about the resurrection. They, they, and then what they say is um, baptism for the dead uh, is mentioned by Paul in the Bible. And then they give, they, they just in parentheses say 1 Corinthians 15, 29. And that's it. There's no more explanation. And I went, I was like, that's interesting. I can't remember what that verse says. And I, I looked it up. Paul's talking in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about if the resurrection is not a real physical resurrection, then our faith is worthless. Jesus didn't die for us. Um, if if our you know if our body doesn't mean anything, then we aren't saved. And and so he's highlighting the importance of the actual physical body. And he talks about if the body's not important, then why are people baptized for the dead? And then he kind of moves on. And I was like, what? I didn't remember that at all. Like, I had no idea. Like, I, that totally slipped my mind that Paul ever mentions that baptism for the dead, you know. But what's interesting is the church says, oh, it's in the Bible. And they quote first, they not even quote it. They just cite First Corinthians 15, 29. And then they just they just kind of move on. And, and it's like me as someone who's really interested in like, what are you doing? And what do you believe? And why do you believe it? Um, I wanted more, you know, and, and there wasn't like a link to a, to a, you know, fuller article or something like that. Um, I, I suppose I would need to, you know, f- kind of do what they're asking me to do and follow up with missionaries and ask my questions to them or whatever. Um, but it was just really interesting. And, um, and that might be a good, a good thing to highlight too, is like your, your take, you know, an offhanded comment by Paul that is not at all obviously, you know, Paul saying we should be baptized for the dead <laughs> so much as he's saying, well, people are baptized for the dead, so obviously the body's important. He doesn't really explain what that means or what he's referring to, but you're basing an entire doctrine of baptism for the for the salvation of those who are who, are, who have died. Like, I don't know, that doesn't seem like a great, foundation hermeneutically for for such a weighty doctrine you know and i think that that's just kind of something that stuck out to me as well that i just wanted to share um that's really interesting and and uh um, i definitely would recommend poking around their website um and you know let me know if if uh you find like any more um you know longer treatments of some of these core Mormon distinctives that I, that I wasn't able to find at least not on their website, but, um, right. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's quite an interesting group, I would say, um, for sure. Yeah. Theologically and, 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 you know, biblically. Yeah. I I hope at least up to this point, you, you can kind of see as we've highlighted these distinctives of Mormonism, why they differ so profoundly from from Christianity and I think maybe as a way to begin wrapping this up uh, one of the things that I'm most curious about and I, I wish that there was a way to to do research on this or if there is research like to read about this but um, because much of the Mormon belief system is geographically oriented in North and South America um, 
Mormonism and especially the LDS church has a very American exceptionalism tone um, because it believes that much of the Book of Mormon, you know, took place in the Americas. Uh, Jesus appeared to some of these people here in the Americas. Uh, they say that uh, that the the Garden of Eden was located in in North America. That the New Jerusalem will be built in in Missouri. Um, so it's I'm curious how much Mormonism has played into american nationalism you know obviously there are american nationalists of of many stripes you know christians can be nationalists um even people that are secular and living in the world can be um nationalistic um religiously so um and i'm I'm very curious that that american exceptionalism that america is the best that it's the place that that all things are going to happen and culminate um you know on one hand i think it's a very narrow-minded viewpoint but one that I don't see very much scriptural support, you know, especially from a, a, a true Christian standpoint. Um, and, and sure, it's it's fair to say that in God's sovereignty that America has been used mightily and might continue to be. Um, but America is not the people of God. Uh, you know, the church is the people of God who are made up of all peoples, all nations, languages um, across the globe. It's a, it's a national thing that isn't, you know, one country isn't the epicenter. Um, and so I don't know, that's, that's one of those things too, that, that is a, is a red flag for me in my mind is that, you know, there's this strong American tone to a lot of Mormonism. So I don't, I don't know if you have much else you want to add here. No, no, it is interesting. And, and I think like a lot of what I've come away with from, you know, my, limited exposure to these different aspects of of the church's teachings just in preparation for this and sort of putting together some thoughts and reflecting on what I've heard in the past um, about Mormonism or about the teachings of of the Book of Mormon or whatever um, is it's it it's definitely something I've only really scratched the surface of and don't want to pretend that I have a great grasp on all the ins and outs Um, but something that I find you know in another life where I had more time, I, I would probably want to spend a lot of time really investigating further these kinds of things and, and, and really working them out. Like, what what's this about? What does that mean? Because they are so fascinating. Um, and part of that is, is linking back to how we started. The reason I think it's appropriate to include them as a heresy um, is from, from our perspective is... Um, Part of that vagueness that I was talking about and how they word things is that there's a lot of bland, generic Christianese all over the LDS church's website that I can kind of tell, you know, I know is not being meant in exactly the same way as, as you know, as a Baptist or a Methodist or whoever would say. But it's still that the same kind of language that I'm used to as being, you know, as someone who's, who's intimately familiar with, you know, Christian culture and stuff. And it's, so it's just, it's such an interesting phenomenon, uh, you know, religiously, you know, whatever. Um, but I think that that's probably what, where we'll end it. I certainly don't have anything else. I don't know if anything I've said today was intelligent, but I certainly don't have anything else intelligent to add to any kind of, um, discussion of, of the church or, or whatever. So I think, on that note, we'll, we'll kind of move move on to the end here. And um, what are you reading this week, Jens? Yeah, I 
I've come to realize that I don't read quick enough to, you know, have a new book each and every week. So <laughs> I might highlight one that I've I talked about a couple weeks ago that I was starting. Um, but I finally finished um, the book Rediscovering Jonah. It used to be called The Prodigal Prophet. Uh, it's by Tim Keller. Uh, it's subtitled The Secret of God's Mercy. And it was like a really good book. I mean, it's a pretty average, you know, 250 page book here. Um, but the whole book again is about rediscovering the story of Jonah. It's more than a story about a big fish that swallows a dude. Um, I know that's kind of what maybe veggie tales would make it out to be. Um, but the, the book of Jonah truly is about God's mercy, God's grace, his, his love and compassion for all peoples. Again, we're not talking about a nationalistic and thing and much cattle. <laughs> um, like, which is a hilarious little tidbit within Jonah. Like the the whole story <laughs> is, again, God in his grace and his mercy um, calling Jonah to go to a people who are not God's people to preach repentance, to preach, um, you know, we, we don't know whether, you know, Nineveh, the entire city, if their, uh, if their repentance was true repentance in the sense that they were saved or if it was like a, at least a, a promise to not be as vicious and vile and cruel in the world as they had been up to that point. Um, it's, it's not necessarily super clear, but the, the point still stands that like Jonah was called to go and preach to this city. And because of their reputation, because of his, um, I guess, presuppositions, he decides that I'm going to run in the opposite direction. I'm not going to do what God has called me to do. Um, there's a lot of nationalistic hatred of, of people who are not ethnic Israel. I mean, when Joseph identifies himself a couple times within this story, he, he begins by saying, I'm a Hebrew. Um, I, I, this is the first thing that I note in my, in my identity is my, my, my nationality. Um, and to get to your point about the, the, the many cattle, um, if you've read the story of Jonah, you know that he, he goes in the other direction. There's a storm. He's thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish, sort of repents, uh, is called again to go and preach, actually preaches in Nineveh. And then he like gets mad that God doesn't destroy them. Like he thinks, even though I've preached, even though, um, they appear to be repenting, I, th I think God's still going to destroy the city. So he sets out like a little booth on the outside of the city and waits there for it to be destroyed and gets like angry about it. And then like God, again, being gracious, lets this plant grow up over his head to give him shade, to give him comfort. And then like the next day it's destroyed by a worm and Joseph's mad again. And is like, okay, this plant that you didn't labor after, this plant that you didn't toil for, you're like angry that it's gone. I made this plant, I've taken it away. And if, if this tiny thing makes you this angry, um, think about from my perspective, I created all the people in this city who don't know their left hand from their right hand, like as the merciful God, should I not be merciful? Should I not care for them? And then as almost like a way to like slight Jonah, he says, you know, if you don't care about the people, at least there's a lot of cattle there. You should at least, if nothing else, care about all the cattle, all the livestock. Um, Cause you know how important those things are for food, for money. And so it's a, and it's, uh, you know, the book ends on kind of like an ironic note on this like cliffhanger of what did Jonah do? Um, and, and Tim Keller concludes really well in the end of the book saying, um, uh, I'm just going to try to find it real quick. He says, um, sorry, I was not prepared for this. Um, uh, I don't remember where it was, but basically Tim Keller concludes by saying like, I, I think Jonah truly repented because it seems like the only person that could have written the, the account of Jonah would be Jonah himself. 
um, and in writing so plainly, so authentically, uh, it, it would seem to indicate that Jonah did have a true change of heart, that he truly came around to like be compassionate, to understand that God's grace, um, you know, is outside the bounds of purely ethnic Israel. And, and it's, it's an Old Testament book that, again, points at the coming of Christ, points at this, this um, salvation that would be offered to, to all peoples in all places and all times. And Jesus himself mentions Jonah a number of times, you know, the sign of Jonah. Um, there's some parallels that we can maybe draw when Jesus is uh, asleep in the boat. You know, there's that passage where the, they, the disciples encounter a storm on the sea and he's asleep and he's approached and he, he calms the seas, just like in a way Jonah calmed the seas. So it's, I don't know, it was a really cool book that, you know, I think especially in our political culture right now would be, we would do well to read it and to meditate on the book of Jonah and what it means for us. Sorry, that was long. What are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am reading um, a couple of books and, 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 and select and sections of books uh, related to um, spiritual disciplines um, for a spiritual formation class that I'm, that I'm taking right now. But one I want to highlight is it's, it's a, I had never heard of it, or at least not that I remember. I had never read it, but I mean, it's apparently an extremely popular book that has sold over its like forty years since it was published, like millions and millions of cop- copies. But it's it's called um, the Celebration of Discipline. Um, I believe the author's name is Richard Foster. I think, but basically, it's sort of a, an introduction to spiritual disciplines for a modern American kind of lifestyle that that has forgotten so much. Um, of these, you know, rich historic spiritual practices. So, you know, spiritual disciplines, I'm talking about prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, um, things like that, scripture, uh, meditation and memorization. And um, so we're in sort of a, the, this, this section of the class where um, we're, we're, we're doing basically everyone's practicing and then reporting on to the rest of the class, different spiritual disciplines. Um, And so part of we're, we're kind of in this the, the discipline phase of the class, so we're reading these these works, and um, um, I'm 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 really enjoying, uh, you know, the selections we we're reading, and um, it's a very except you know celebration of discipline specifically is, is popular for a reason, and and I think it it seems to be I I'm, I've only just just begun it, but it seems to be a very good just um, introduction to spiritual disciplines, and I think it 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 seems to be just a if you're not familiar with it, like I wasn't a fantastic resource to kind of um, dip your toes into, you know, what are the spiritual disciplines? What does it mean to practice a spiritual discipline? And maybe that's something we can discuss further on another episode. But um, yeah, a celebration of discipline. That's kind of the, the main thing I'm reading this week. Um, so yeah, um, I think that about that'll, that'll do it. Um, so to wrap up, uh, we are recording this on October 18th, which is the feast day of St. Luke the Evangelist. Um, and uh, accordingly, we will wrap up with uh, his collect from the Book of Common Prayer. So let's pray. Almighty God, you called your servant Luke to be an evangelist and physician of the soul. Grant that by the wholesome medicine of the doctrine he taught, all the diseases of our souls may be healed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So Amen. that'll wrap up.
today's episode. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in as always. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, we're just super grateful for everyone who listens, whether you've never heard of us or whether you've listened to every single episode. Um, if you'd like to connect with us, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You can shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com um, for feedback, questions, or episode ideas. You can sign up for our weekly update newsletter. Check out logos.com slash doxologypodcast for more information from our lovely sponsor. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And in the uh, between now and next episode and until then 